Thank you, Katie. Good morning, everyone. How are you? We have a lot. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we're going to move a little fast, okay? Um, so we've been in the, gos- or the gospel. We've been in Proverbs, right? God's version of Twitter. As we've said, if God had a Twitter, it would be named Proverbs and been talking about wisdom. Wisdom for various aspects of our lives and our conduct and um, Last week it was wisdom for fearing God. This week, wisdom for our speech, for the words, the words that we use. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, perhaps, perhaps the greatest crucible of sanctification that God has used in my life is the mountains of consequences that I have that I have faced, not because of things that I've done, but because of things that I've said. All right? If there is one thing that has defined the, the like, trajectory of spiritual, emotional, or mental like, growth in my life, it's not been because I've done something and then I've had to pay the consequences. In my personal life, it's because I've said something, said something I shouldn't have, didn't say something I should have, said something that maybe needed to be said, but in the wrong way or at the wrong time, right? But there has been a mountain, right, of consequences that I have faced over the things that I have said. And so um, if you have, if there is any delusion that I um, speak, preach this sermon to anyone other than the guy standing on the stage this morning, let that be erased, because if there is one person that, that needs to be um, sanctified by this word this morning, it's this guy right here. And uh, I've, I've been praying that the Lord would do that um, in, my, in my life in the coming weeks. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about the words that we say, the things that come uh, out of our mouth, there's, there's a lot of places in Scripture that we can go to to get um, to hear from the Lord on that. For instance, well, I mean, we're going to get to Proverbs. There's lots of it in Proverbs. But um, uh, the epistle of James, you know, James chapter 3 talks all about taming the, taming the tongue, as he calls it. And he says in James, in James 3, um, verses 3, 4, and 5, he uses three, um, three like, comparisons for things that, are, that exist in the real world that are, are like the tongue. He uses the comparison of a bit that you put in the mouth of a horse, a rudder that turns a ship, and a spark that sets a large fire ablaze. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take the ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So, these, these physical things, like a bit in the mouth, right, a rudder on a ship, a small, small spark, all represent something that is very, very small, right, but that has great impact. And, 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 and of course, like the tongue is one of the smallest parts of our body. But I don't think you would have to, you don't have to be a, a theologian or a pastor or even a really smart person to understand that the words that we say, how we use our tongue, has great, has a lot of impact. It makes a big difference. And we usually think of the differences that, um, that the tongue can make in this context here. We talk about taming the tongue or a, great, uh, a spark sets a great forest um, ablaze. We usually think of it in terms of that the tongue has tremendous power to do damaging or negative things in others' lives. And that certainly is true. But um, Scripture speaks of it not just in a negative sense, the use of our words or the use of our tongue, but also says that the tongue has the power to speak life. So that it's, it's not just about 
understanding the power of the tongue for the way that it can destroy, but understanding the power of the tongue for the way that it can build up and encourage. In James chapter 3, in that same chapter we were just in, but down a few uh, verses, starting at verse 9 through verse 12, um, James says this, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Now, I'm going to play on that comparison right there. The comparison between what James calls fresh water, which would be like words that build people up, and salt water, words that destroy and bring people down. But it's not just James um, that says something like, like that, that the, that the power of the tongue is both in life and death. Um, Proverbs, the, the book that we are in for this series, says the very same things. Uh, same types of things. If we look at Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse 21, we see that it essentially says the same thing that um, James says here. Proverbs 18, 21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat of its Fruit. So it has the power of both life and death. The tongue is powerful. It has, it has a, a, a tremendous impact. How you use it is the tipping point issue here. See, the, the main point on these last two scriptures is this, is that our words or our tongues have the power of both blessing and cursing. They have the power to be springs of salt water, and then they have the power to be springs of fresh water. Now, I often, um, I often would like to, um, like, like in many times in life, we, we talk, sometimes we talk about ourselves even as having no filter. Right? You've heard that phrase before. Like, I just have no filter. It's like whatever it just come, comes out, you know, and like we think of a filter as like it's meant, it's meant to uh, things go, go through it, but it, it catches or filters out the dirtier parts of what, we, of what we don't want to get into the cup, for instance. It's like it stands as a guard against the things that we want to catch and discard. And if I could, like, walk around, the story of my life would be like, I wish I could walk around like this all the time, right? And I've learned the hard way, all right? I have learned the hard way, let me, let me tell you. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I would love to be able to, like, put this, this filter over my mouth so that only fresh water could come out, right? Only ever fresh water. Like, the saltiness would stay inside. The Lord would use, uh, use the sanctifying power of the blood of Jesus to wash away the saltiness of my words. But Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, speaks of like this filter, right? this filter over our mouth, this guard over our tongue. It says, they who guard their lips guards their life. But they who speak rashly will come to ruin. So, those who have a guard, those who have a filter, those who are aware of the fluid that is coming out of them, their, their, life, their life will be guarded. But those who speak rashly, Right? It means like intuitively, instinctively. Those who, those who just speak rashly will come to ruin. Have your words ever come to ruin? They ever spoke and created destruction, right? 
have for me. Uh, likewise, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, same idea here of guarding our mouths, guarding our heart, or guarding being like a filter over us. 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Can I get an amen from the choir on that one? He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. My goodness gracious. Come Lord Jesus in our words. So what we really want is we want to have guards over our mouths, guards over our tongue, so that the only thing that can come out of the spring that is in us is fresh water. To speak only words that are encouraging, uplifting, wholesome, supportive, loving. See, because our words, your words, your words, listen, you need to understand this. Um, the tremendous power that your words have in the lives of other people. And not just in the negative, but especially in the positive. Like, my, my prayer even in this moment is that this place, this room, you, us, these, these people here, that we would become a spring, an overwhelming flood, a tsunami of healing words for the people that we interact with and come in contact with every single day. That, that every, every single person that you, that you speak to, have a conversation with, that, that they would walk away feeling like they had that, that fresh, that the f- fresh water has parched a dry and dead soul. Right? You have the opportunity in every conversation that you have, every interaction, to speak words that are sweet and healing rather than bitter destructive. Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 24 says this awesome thing about uh, when our words come from a spring of fresh water. It says, pleasant words, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Would it be that every word that, that, that a person hears come out of our mouth, that every time we speak with them, that our words would be sweet to their soul, would be healing to their bones, would, would produce, right, would produce life, would heal bitterness and take away destruction. Proverbs Chapter 15, verse 4. I told told you we were going to move fast this morning. Proverbs 15, verse 4. says that the tongue that brings healing, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Freshwater words are words that when spoken to someone else bring healing into their life. They're, they're words that are sweet, right? They are healing to the person's spirit. They are, they are life-giving to their bodies. Healing words keep the, keep the conversation focused on the healing, on the encouragement, on the life that God wants to produce in the person that you're speaking with rather than in in the like chorus of salty speech that continually assaults all of our ears. You think, well, well, how does this work? How does this work practically, Pastor? Like, like say that I'm, I'm, uh, say that I'm speaking to someone who is um, just overwhelmed with pain, right? They are, they like the, the scriptures say, like they are. They are, their bones need healing. They are broken 
inside, that they are that they are growing in in bitterness, like like right that their their life in some way, shape, or form has been has been destructed. And when you enter into an interaction or a conversation with someone like that, it's not difficult and it doesn't take long to discern or to tell, right, that that everything coming out of them is coming from a a fountain or well that is full of salt, right? That it is just creating bitterness and destruction in their life and maybe maybe it's focused on a particular person or maybe it's focused in a particular direction and you know it'd be easy as people who are empathetic and sympathetic to people's hurt and dist- and and their and their pain to say yeah you know what um, yeah she really is a horrible person and I I, I don't blame you for being um, so like angry and bitter and 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 allowing this like to like just consume your mind and your thoughts like they um, you deserve you deserve to feel the way that you're feeling you deserve to uh, you deserve to be hurt you deserve to be angry you deserve to be bitter who would it be in this case right and and what we can end up doing by our words in an effort to to simply be supportive and empathetic and and sympathetic to what they're feeling is we can just take the salt shaker and we can just continue to pour it into their own soul, not knowing that instead that 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 the greatest call that our words have in that moment is to be a source and well of fresh water that, like the scriptures say, can bring healing to them. That can then can dilute the destruction and saltiness of their own well and begin to offer them sweet words like a honeycomb, right? That rebuild a person's spirit. So instead of, yeah, you know, you deserve that, you know, you don't have to take the focus and have some, like, really super, like, insightful or dense understanding of counseling or theology to simply say, you know, um, I believe that God wants good things for you. And I believe that God loves you. And I don't, I don't understand what's going on in your life right now. And I don't, I don't have any answers. But you are, you are a child of God. And, and, and God is in the business of redeeming things. Once thought too broken. Once thought only to go in the dumpster. And, and I just know and I just, and I just believe that as we trust God... And as we, as we continue to pray for answers, that he's going to do good things for you. And I can't, I just can't imagine and I can't wait to see the miracle that God is going to work in your life. Don't make the well more salty. That's what I'm saying. And you can, not by, not by, not by ignoring, right, the conversation that's happening. Not by ignoring um, or being, um, non-sympathetic or non-empathetic to their hurt, but simply understand that the words that come from your mouth need to come from a spring that is full of fresh water. Fresh water. Water that, water that washes away bitterness. Water that washes away saltiness. The Lord has, the Lord has put power in the words of men and women to bring healing and life to those around us. Why wouldn't we choose to speak healing, to speak encouragement, to speak, to speak peace into others' lives instead of just you know, fanning the flame of the fire of their hate and bitterness and anger? We're going to talk about something this morning called the Ephesians 4 test. Like when I want to say something, right? Like we're we're going to talk, we're going to have like one main um, application point for making sure that we have a guard over the salt water streams that tend to come out of our mouth. But we're going to apply it to something called the Ephesians 4 test, right? And so uh, as, a, as the conclusion,
conclusion of this like section on speaking only fresh water words over people's lives. I want us to look at a um, one little scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. And you might want to make a note of this in your Bible. If you have a Bible with you this morning, like, and you have something to write with, this is one of those words or one of those scriptures that you need to be underlying in your Bible. And if you don't underline things in your Bible, that makes you like all like weirded out. Do it anyway, all right? And if you have a pew Bible and you're like, well, this isn't my Bible, I don't want to underline it, underline it anyway because I want anyone, right, that picks up the Bible to, to like to see this. And if you're, if you're sitting next to someone who refuses to underline in their Bible, just go ahead and underline it for them, right? We'll pray for the stubbornness of their heart later, right? But, but listen, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, this is one that you want the Lord to write on the tablets of your heart. And then I'm going to ask you to memorize this coming week, and it's this. Ephesians 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we're going to carry this verse with us quite far today, right? Even though it's not in Proverbs, right? It is the wisdom of God. Amen? That we, we do not let any unwholesome talk come from our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is the, like, this is like the, this would be the, the thesis statement for anyone desiring to speak only fresh water words into people's life. But I'm not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. Only words that are helpful for building others up according to what their needs are that it may benefit those who listen. Like the, the person that's at the table at Starbucks next to us, right, is going to be encouraged by the sweetness of the words rather than the saltiness of the words. Okay? But what does Scripture say about the salt water stream, right? There's a lot that Scripture says about this. In fact, Proverbs says um, as much, if not more, about the words that come from our mouths that are destructive than that are encouraging. And it's not good, okay? And um, for, as a matter of, like, time this morning, I'm not going to go, we're not going to go over every single um, example, but... Well, you say, well, like, what is a, what is a saltwater word? What, what, are, what are things that I say that are salty? Now, in general, I don't got to tell you what those are. You know already, right? You know, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. And if you don't know, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, what exactly they are or how you know when something that you said is more salty than it is fresh. But... As a, just as a measure of accountability to the scripture, we're going to see, uh, I'm going to just list off a couple of words here, or a couple of saltwater speeches in Proverbs. These are all references out of Proverbs, all right? So chapter 10, verse 11, um, talks about uh, violent speech, speech that is, that is violent in nature. Um, um, this is an interesting one. In chapter 10, verse 19, it says that the chattering fool comes to ruin, right? The chattering fool comes to ruin. It's, it's the, 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 the person that, that can, can, cannot keep their mouth closed for a hot second, right? You don't know, no one knows anyone like that. There's no one like that. Here, right? But we can all imagine that in some other church, right, somewhere, that there is a chattering fool, right, who simply just cannot keep their mouth closed and ends up, their many words end up bringing them to ruin, right? Or, or perverse speech. In several points in, um, in, in Proverbs, and these are just a few examples, chapter, uh, chapter 11, chapter 16, chapter 18, 18, chapter 20, talks about gossip. The, the saltiness of gossiping 
speech. Speech that is, um, speech that has uh, more to do with passing on juicy information than it does concern for the person's well-being. And Christians are really, really, really great at spiritualizing gossip. We're awesome at it. Because we just, you know, we gather with our small group, and we just, you know, when we get, you know, I mean, I just got to share a prayer request about Billy over here. No, sorry, we have a Billy. I can't say that. Um, who's the person that we always pick on here? Uncle, uh, what's his name? Jerry. Any Jerry's in the room? Perfect. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just got a, I just got a uh, prayer request. You know, this is super confidential, but I just want to talk about how bad my Uncle Jerry is. Um, and uh, all of the ways that... Uh, all the ways that he's really ruining his life by the choices that he's making. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so that's all. just wanted to share that. It's on my heart, really. Um, you know? And, and, we, and so we, 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 we talk about other people in the context of, like, oh, got a, got a unspoken about my deadbeat dad, right? <laughs> unspoken request. Yeah. It's like, um... Not okay, right, not okay. Salty speech, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, reckless, reckless speech. Speech that has no concern for the damage that it's going to cause or could cause. It's reckless. It just flows out, right? And this is kind of the... The hallmark of salty speech is that there's, there's no filter, there's no guard, there's no thinking, there's no consideration. It's completely reckless. Like a bull in a china shop. It just pours out. Finally, deceitful speech. You know, we talked about, we talked in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and, and my heart and, and, and my desire and what I'm going to be asking the Lord to do um, in me in the next few weeks is to not allow me to speak a single word before I internally ask the Lord if it passes the Ephesians 4 test. Right? In all of my counseling that I do, right? And every time I have an interaction with my wife or one of you, or my staff, or my kids, right? My kids, yikes. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be talking a whole lot this week. Um, but, but, Lord, um, is this helpful for building them up? And, and, and don't, don't get me wrong, right? Not, not everything that is freshwater speech always sounds really good to the person that hears it, right? So it's not like we're not, we're not patting people on the head with like placating words of you're good, I'm good, everyone's good, and can't we all just get along, right? Um, but there certainly is an opportunity for us to always say, before those words come out, um, Lord, it's just wholesome speech. Is, is what I'm about to say going to be used to build this person up? If someone um, that I respect was standing right here with me, would it benefit them to hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Would, it be, would, I, would I want them to hear the things that I'm saying in this moment? Called, we're going to call it the Ephesians 4 test. Um, I'm going to trademark that. I, I made it up. See, because we all inherently know this rule because it's drilled into us, right? It's so much so that I don't even have to finish it. Because um, I can say, if you can't say anything... That was super bad, people. Right? <laughs> if you can't say anything nice... All right, so listen. Is everyone listening? Because we're going to ask, the question is, well, all right, I, 
the statement, I know that my mouth is more of a saltwater spring than a freshwater spring. Right? So I know that about myself. So, Lord, besides taking the extra moment to say, does this pass the Ephesians 4 test? Lord, what is the answer? What is the, what is the antidote? Like, what is the, the practical thing that I can do to ensure that my words are sweet like honeycomb? Pleasing to the ear and healing to the bones of other people. Well, it's a form of a guard or a filter that we put over all of our speech. Now, most people who have a um, who have a more of a saltwater speech than they do of a, a freshwater speech hate this uh, hate this thing, right? Um, myself included, right? It takes a lot of work. Um, so the filter or the guard against salty speech is silence. You know the easiest way to not say anything dumb is to not say anything at all. And we can say it like a nursery rhyme. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, right? And we say that to our kids and maybe we don't even ever we don't ever really think about it. like well, listen to that you know like 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 maybe maybe that it actually is a a biblical principle that the Lord can tether to my heart and like tie my tongue up in a knot right that that the filter or the guard for the saltiness of my speech is not try harder work harder but it's actually a biblically foundational silence. Like, zip it. Uh, Proverbs calls this, Scripture generally calls this, holding your tongue. If you hold your tongue and then try and say, I thought about doing it, but like, I shook all y'all's hands this morning. I'm not grabbing onto my tongue right now. Um, but if you hold your tongue and then try to say something, right, it comes out. Like nothing intelligible happens. But Proverbs speaks about silence as, as holding the tongue. If you go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Sometimes you have to take the inverse of what is said to understand the lesson of what can be communicated when words when words are many sin is not absent when words are many sin is not absent but they who hold their tongues are wise the tongue of the righteous is choice silver but the heart of the wicked is of little value flip over one page to Proverbs chapter 11, if you look at 11, verse 12 and 13, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Hold your tongue, right? Silence. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. You know the best way to keep a secret? Just keep your mouth closed. To remain silent. James chapter 1, verse 19 is my life verse. Um, and it speaks of this, I, this, this task of remaining silent when our words, when we don't trust our own words, right? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow 
to speak and slow to become angry. How, how do I ensure, right? How do I ensure when I know that I have a tendency to speak with a saltiness of my words? Or it just seems like, or I don't even, I don't think that what I'm saying is either offensive or hurtful or destructive or embittering to other people. I just seem to have a trail of bodies behind me that represent relationships that have gone like chaos because of something that I've said. And like maybe sometimes we will, we start by saying, well, hey, no offense, but... um, and then we go to say something offensive, right? You all know that that doesn't work like that, right? That you don't get a pass on saying something offensive because you started it by saying, no offense. No offense, but uh, I don't like you. Mm. Well, that's pretty offensive. Thanks. <laughs> offense taken. Appreciate it, right? <laughs> so, um, so the best way is not to, like, qualify the offensive thing you're about to say by saying, hey, no offense. The best way is to simply say what? Nothing. Right? Until, right? Until you know that you have passed what it is you want to say through a filter of, Lord, make this wholesome speech that is effective for building the person up. See, because if we ask this question, what do you personally regret more? Do you personally regret more the words in the past that you have spoken impulsively or the words that you have held on to in an effort to be silent until you could ensure that the Lord was sanctifying your speech so that it was helpful for building someone up rather than tearing them down? It's kind of a like rhetorical question because we all regret more the words that we have spoken impulsively. The rash speaking that has just flowed out rather than passing through the filter. And, and we kind of like... In some, I, I don't know when or how we got to this point in life. I think this is part of, you know, like remember in week one where we talked about the difference between godly wisdom and the difference between worldly wisdom? How you can talk about, we can have a sermon series all about wisdom, but you better qualify what kind of wisdom is because there is worldly wisdom that says a whole lot of things and then there's godly wisdom that says a whole lot of other things, Right? In some way, some like we have we have taken the idea of being vulnerable, of being real in the church, and and we have like tacked onto it a form of worldly wisdom that says, well, you know, I I'm kind of just a guy that just says whatever's on, my, I just say what's on my heart, right? And uh, I don't hold anything back, and I'm just um, I'm just real and authentic, and uh, and I just. You know, whatever it is, I just, I just say it. And we're like, yeah, man. All right. You know who says just whatever's on their heart without thinking about it? Children. Children do. Children don't think about what's coming out of their mouth. They're the most, like, you want to know... You want to know if that outfit makes you look fat? (laughs) Ask your kid, right? But it's, it's worldly wisdom that says it's a good and honorable thing to be a person that just says whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart, whenever you want to. That's not godly wisdom. That's destructive It, it tears people down. It does not promote healing in their lives. It's not, wor- it's not sweet words like honeycomb that bring 
that bring healing to a person's bone. That's what we call those people children. We need, to, we need to move past, beyond, right, the freedom that we have to be vulnerable and just ourselves with people into being the person that, yeah, maybe this is the person that we are right now, but it certainly is not the person that Christ wants us to be tomorrow. And so vulnerability is, is, is only a good characteristic, right, of my heart, of your heart, of our communal life, if we all understand the acceptance of who we are, yes, right now in the moment, but the refusal to allow each other to remain there. To stay in that place. That is vulnerability. That is accountability. That is community that transforms lives. Not a just, oh yeah, man, you're good. Just be who you are all the time. No, don't be who you are all of the time. Please. Like my prayer is that you might be who you are right now in this moment, but tomorrow you might be a little bit more like Jesus is. And then the next day you might be increasingly a little bit more like Jesus is. And if that means that you need to have a period of or a season of your life where your words are few, So that, so that the health of your heart may be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then, then that's what I want to like high five. That's what I want to high five. Because Jesus says this thing that like just cuts to the very heart, literally, of our words. He says it in, uh, he says it in all three um, synoptic Gospels, actually. But I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3, or I'm mean, sorry, Luke chapter 6 here. Jesus says these words. He says, no. I want to just hear this, okay? Listen. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Listen. Ready? For the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Listen, our words are the fruit of our heart. Our words, the things that we say, the things that come out of us, that are spoken out into existence. They are the fruit of what is inside of us. And so, listen, while there are like certainly practical things that we can do to avoid over-speaking salty words, like just shut up. Be quiet. Be silent. Have a, have a season or a period of your life where you, you, you literally are taking like almost a vow of silence in order to what? Not just be quiet, but to let the Lord clean out the well that my words are coming from.
to replace the water. The water that is salty with water that is fresh. And the period of silence is not a punishment for you, nor is it like a self-help piece of advice in order to not offend people with what you say, right? But the, the period of silence, or the more silence than you have ever like employed in your life before, the period of silence is an opportunity for the Lord to work on the source of the words, my heart. Why, Lord? Why are these things coming up out of me? Where does that unwholesome talk come from? You know, I have this really radical idea that God wants to change us. There's this really radical idea that you don't have to be the person that you think you just are. Oh, this is just who I am. It's just the way that God has made me. No, it ain't the way that God made you, actually. Nope. It ain't. There's actually a way that God made you that he wants to actually make you like. But um, God, God, is, God, God, is not a, God is not a person that, God, God does not force us. And uh, I have also this radical idea that when, we, that when we pray that God would do the things in us, that God has already stated in his word that he wants to do in us, that, that he does not delay in transforming us. And that does not mean the transformation is quick, nor does it mean the transformation is easy. But when you begin to pray, Lord, change my heart so that the words of my mouth are pleasing to you and encouraging to others. That is a prayer that God will like Usain Bolt sprint to answer. Like, he goes right to work answering the prayers that are prayed that, that like, Lord, make me more like Jesus. Okay, got it. Here we go. Lord, change my heart so that my speech may be more encouraging and wholesome to those who hear it. You got it. Let's go. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, go. And as we pray for those things, right, as we, as we, as we walk into periods of silence, Lord, I'm honoring the process of you transforming my heart by keeping my mouth closed as you and I work together to transform the salty well of my heart into a well that is fresh and full of healing for other people. And I want to give you, um, I've given you one already, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, right? Um, that's the Ephesians 4 test, but I want to give you two other pieces of scripture this week that you are going to take and that you are going to write on a 3 by 5 index card, right? Make a, make a couple of copies of them, okay? And then you're going to take them and you're going to like, you're going to sticky tack one to your mirror in your bathroom. And you're going to, not just the reference, no, but like actually write it out, Okay? And you're going to sticky tack one of the cards on the mirror in your bathroom. And then you're going to sticky tack one of the cards on your steering wheel. Uh, and you're going to sticky tack one of the cards um, on, uh, above your kitchen sink. And maybe you're like, you're super worried that you're not going to see any of them. And so um, tape one of them to your phone, right? So every time you take out your phone, you've got to look at it, right? And every time you do that, you're just going to simply use one of these scriptures or whatever one you encounter and you're going to pray it. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach you how to pray scripture right now. So let's say we use um, Psalm 119. Can you actually put that one up there for me, please? Thank you. Psalm 119, 171, and 172. See, this is an 
easy one because this is, in a way, um, Psalm 119 is a long prayer, right? And so you see this, and you encounter it. You come to your, your bathroom um, uh, sink in the morning. You look up in the mirror. You wipe the crusty out of your eye, and you see this, and you say, like, and you take, like, 30 seconds to pray, Lord, today, may my lips overflow with praise for you teach me, Lord, your decrees. And may my tongue sing of your word, for all of your commands are righteous. Lord, may my, may my tongue sing of your word. All your commands are righteous, Lord. May my lips, Lord, overflow with praise. May that be your prayer in that moment. Or we get another one to Psalm 141, verse 3. I mean, and, and eventually, after three or four times of praying this, you're going to memorize it, right? It's going to be easy for you. Psalm 141, verse 3. Heavenly Father, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You can do the same with Ephesians chapter 4, right? As much as you want to, this is a great way um, to let the Spirit of God like carve His Word on your heart. By simply using Scripture as a prayer. Ephesians 4, 29. Dear Heavenly Father, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to what they need, that it would benefit those who listen. Lord, keep my speech from unwholesome talk. Our words have, like James says, incredible power. They seem so small. They seem so insignificant, but like the bit in the mouth of a horse, the rudder on the back of a ship, small spark in the middle of a dry forest. They have the power to change people's lives. Understand the power that you have to speak life, to speak encouragement, to speak, to speak fresh water into someone who only wants to give up. Who only wants to, to leave it all behind. Understand the tremendous, tremendous, tremendous power that your words have. We're going to uh, take communion this morning.